Hi and welcome to the latest Barnsley Museums podcast. I'm Michael, the digital curator, and we're exploring more of the Barnsley Archive's sound archive. Last month we brought you um, poetry and stories from a miner, Dougie Pond. This month we are Professor Selina Ray, Professor of Molecular Neuroscience and Alzheimer's Research UK Senior Research Fellow at the UCL Queen Square Institute of Neurology. This interview was recorded in 2017 by Gemma Geldart as part of the Barnsley Archive's Joy of Sound and Vision National Lottery Heritage Funded project to make Barnsley's Sound and Film Archive available for the first time. As you're about to hear, although Selina um, now lives in London, she has some fond memories of growing up in Barnsley. So we are in the Institute of Neurology at the Department of Molecular Neuroscience, which is in the Bloomsbury, Bloomsbury area of London. Do you want to just say briefly about what, what you do and what your role is at the moment? Yep, so I am a scientist. I specifically work in the area of neuroscience and my research interest is Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia. So what we're really trying to do is understand what causes those diseases because we believe that by understanding the cause of disease we can then develop treatments to to slow down the progress or stop that disease from happening altogether. Um, and our particular approach to, to doing that is to use cell biology so we grow brain cells in the laboratory and we try to understand why the brain cells of somebody who has dementia are different to those from somebody who doesn't have dementia okay so we're talking to you today um because of what you do but also that you're from barnsley and this project's all about kind of capturing people's experiences of Mm -hmm. growing up in Barnsley. So if you could start with where and when you were born. So I was born on the 27th of April 1982 and I grew up in the centre. I was born at Barnsley Hospital um, but my parents lived and I grew up right in the town centre. So I grew up on St George's Road which is near the the bottom of Ray's Common Road. So really town end I suppose is what we what we call it. Um, So yeah that's where I lived and, and grew up for most of my early life and early adulthood. Brilliant. Can you tell me a bit about your family, about your mum and dad? Yeah, so it was just, I was an only child, so it was just me and and my parents. Um, They were called Neil and Jeanette. They're both sadly passed away now. Um, But they were, um, yeah, my dad was a painter and decorator by trade. So um, my mum was a a full-time stay-at-home mum and housewife. So a very normal kind of working class family. Um, and we lived in a, a kind of two-up, two-down terraced house at the bottom of, of, of St George's Road. Quite a nice place to grow up. You know, it's not the most scenic bit of town. Um, that's, been, that's been quite diplomatic. It's not at all scenic. Um, but it's, uh, you know, I kind of... It, it's. I have the I kind of view it through rose tinted glasses, I guess, because it's where I grew up and it's something that was always very familiar and very welcoming to me. Preschool kind of age. Do you have any um, memories or were there, were there places you ever went if your mum your mum was working stay at home? So. Yes, yeah, I I remember um not very much from preschool age. I used to go to nursery. So I went to um Lonka junior and infant school and there used to be a nursery that was kind of attached with that school. Um and actually again I was split between two nurseries. So there was one um which was located on what I think is now 
well, I think it's houses now, but I think for a while it was the car park for the school. But before that got flattened, there was a nursery there. Um, and then that old nursery was, was demolished and there was a new one built also within kind of the perimeter of Lancaster School that I went to for, I, I mean, I guess... I don't have the concept of time from when I was younger, but I guess I was there for a year, kind of half in one and half in the other. Um, And I think one of the things that I also remember kind of from preschool and and kind of through early school is we were very lucky. We didn't have much money as a family, so it's not like I went out and did classes or things like that, but I think we were very lucky that there were a lot of town centre parks and playgrounds that, of course, you can go to for free. So we used to spend a lot of time that my mum would take me there to play we were maybe 15 20 minutes walk from lock park so you used to spend a lot of time there as well especially over summer when the weather was good and you know you could go up there for for a few hours so yeah and would that be busy up there lock park yeah it was and there was always you know i remember going up a lot and just kind of playing on the swings and in the playground um I remember there's kind of a bowling green there and I can remember going up and sitting and kind of watching that with my mum. And then there'd always be events that we'd go to. So my mum's family, um, from kind of grandparents and beyond that, were were travellers and they'd kind of go around with the fair. So whenever... I know the fair used to come at summer at least once per year, but there would be other events like classic car rallies and things like that that would have a few fairground rides and of course my mum sometimes there'd be family there with them and if not family there'd be people that kind of my mum would know from growing up in that kind of environment so we would spend time kind of there for events like that as well so I mean just to touch on family again Mm. so um your parents from Barnsley originally you said your mum's family travelled yeah um so my mum's family were travellers but always within and around Yorkshire but my mum was born and grew up in Barnsley so um in kind of the the area just off Eldon Street so like Beckett Street James Street that kind of area um and then my dad was from Athersley so Lindhurst Road he grew he was born and grew up um so yeah they were both from Barnsley they met in what was then called the cellar bar but is now the old number seven so they met there, um, <laughs> very romantic <laughs> location, um, and they were married at St Mary's Church, so just off Huddersfield Road. Um, so yeah, very, I mean, Barnsley, and lived in Barnsley for their whole life, so yeah. Um, so school, so you went mm. to Lonka? I went to Lonka for infant and junior school, and then on to Holgate as senior. And what, what was it like, uh, what was your experience of primary school? Do you know, I, I I always really liked school. I always loved it. I was a bit of a nerd like that. Um, and I remember primary school. I have, I don't have a huge number of memories, but I I remember being happy there. Um, you know, I remember there being one teacher. We used to change classes every year, and I remember there being one teacher who we always dreaded that we'd end up in her class and I never did so that was good <laughs> silly things when you look back now and you think just you know just a human like the rest of us and no reason to be scared but when you're a child it makes a difference and um, yeah Lonka used to be split over three buildings and I remember I think one of my earliest memories of being at school there was having to run an errand maybe for a teacher like you know go and take this to so-and-so's class and getting lost going between the buildings which I don't I don't even know how that's possible because I think they were literally three in a 
but I somehow got, you know, I ended up in the wrong building or the wrong part of a building. Um, and just something that, again, at the time, it all seemed so big and quite overwhelming. And it's quite funny to look back at that now and think, oh, what? It was so simple. Was it a big school then? Would it been on three sides? Was it... I don't know. It kind of seemed seemed big. But if you asked me to guess... So for senior school, I could do this. But if you asked me to guess how many classes or how many kids were there at a time, I wouldn't have a clue, actually. So you didn't just go through the numbers, class one, two, three. It didn't work like that at Longco, did you? So you were in, if I remember correctly, you would be the same group of kids, but you swapped teacher every year. Yeah. So the the combination of kids in the class stayed the same, but you would move physically, be in a different classroom each year, um, and be associated with a different teacher each year. Um, and I think that was organised by building, maybe. So there'd be one building which was kind of the infant level and then the other two buildings would be kind of the, the going up to juniors if I remember correctly yeah I think that was right <laughs> can you remember what in particular you enjoyed about mm. I can remember something. you know I remember I didn't like sports I was never uh, inclined that way I think just I think as a whole you and this will come up again when we talk about how I kind of ended up doing what I do I think you tend to enjoy stuff that you're good at um because if you feel that you're good at something then it kind of motivates you to, to kind of do it a little bit more and I was just not good at sports I was the kid who was like the last to be picked on the team the slowest runner that kind of thing so I hated that kind of stuff um you know I always had a bit of an inclination for the practical which I think is why I like science because it's quite hands-on and kind of doing stuff um I also am quite a, a logical person so I liked things like maths where there is a correct answer and you can there's a process a logical process that you kind of work out to get to that answer so I think even from an early age things like learning timetables and doing you know you'd get to sit down and work out a page of sums um and I know that for some people that's the absolute last thing they would enjoy and I loved it because I, I liked you know much more than English which I also enjoyed but I I like the feeling that you can you know if you've done something right or wrong that appealed to me and to know that okay you had 20 questions and you got 18 of those right or you got 10 of those right I kind of like the very definite this is what the outcome should be and that's this is you've got it right or you haven't <laughs> probably quite bookish you know I like I, I was I kind of already alluded to I did enjoy the academic side of things I really enjoyed reading that kind of stuff so it's yeah it's brilliant and then secondary school then yeah so Holgate for secondary school which I think so growing up in the area of town that I grew up in you either went to Holgate or Kingston big rival schools um Holgate was closest to where I was and most of my I don't think it was ever in question that I would have gone to Kingston because it wouldn't have made sense when one was much much closer than the other so yeah and how does that compare to your primary school experience do you have any memory of that I mean gosh it's mad all of a sudden you're kind of surrounded by you know I think Holgate had just short of a thousand pupils when I was there 
Um, so it's huge. You know, you go from being the one class of a year and knowing everybody. Let's say, for argument's sake, there's 30 pupils in your, that class. You know everyone. And then all of a sudden you're put into a year where there are maybe, what, four forms and you're in a year of 120 people. Um, and that's quite a huge and different transition. And then you, you're not with one teacher the whole time. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it kind of was a big melting pot of a variety of, of things that created quite a, a unique atmosphere. But it was not a, it's not a hostile place to go to school. And I certainly wouldn't describe it as being rough. Um, it was just a, it was just a mix. It reflected its location in the town and it reflected the people who lived in the area around school. So it's yeah, I particularly had an inclination towards the scientific subjects again and maths I kind of liked you know when you're at secondary school you get a bit more into the sub-disciplines so rather than it just being science you'd have biology chemistry and physics and I liked all of those but with an inclination really for chemistry actually chemistry first and foremost and biology as a close second were were the subjects that I like and I think you start to get into kind of things that are really hands-on and you feel like you're doing proper science in quotation marks because you get a conical flask and a beaker and things to play about with um but also learning things like the periodic table and you know there are cool things that are probably still done in classrooms today where you take certain elements certain metals and put them in water and they will burst into flames and i think that's quite it makes quite an impression that you see science in real life and that kind of thing so they were the things that I enjoyed most of all and the things that I always as a result I think got the kind of best grades in so they that's kind of where I perhaps started to develop a specific pathway that I'd end up following that transition to doing GCSEs is the first time where you really are given a bit of control over you what what you want to to do and what direction you want to start kind of going in and so for me choosing to kind of invest a bit more in the science was a no-brainer because it was what I enjoyed it was really where I could find that my strengths were lying so that's kind of where I rather than from year seven that's where I kind of started to specialize a bit I guess no I was just wondering at, at that age where you chose those oh, yeah. kind of because it is quite 14 or something to choose yeah. kind of the sciences did you yeah. have anything in mind that you wanted to be yeah, so I knew, um, and it changed dramatically actually, but I knew, um, I had a few ideas and actually for a long time I thought I'd quite like to be a psychologist um, and I think that's really because I, at the time I didn't understand what psychology was, if I'm going to be honest, it sounded quite exotic um, and quite fancy. I, I, I didn't know that I wanted to be involved in scientific research because I think I just wouldn't have known what that was at the time, but always something kind of sciencey so a psychologist for a while um I went through a phase of thinking I'd kind of do forensics and that kind of stuff again probably too much cracker on television and what would you plan on on leaving school um so, so your GCSEs it was always I think I for, again from that time of choosing GCSE subjects I think that's when I it kind of became crystallized for me and again through through doing well at school and encouragement of teachers that I want to do A-levels and I want to use that as a stepping stone to go to university. So I think from kind of, and no one in my family had, had been to university before, so I think that was probably quite a big a big deal. Um, but it kind of, you know, I thought if I, if I am good at this and I enjoy it, why would I not try and take that as far as I can go with it? Um, so that's, and again, A-level, that bridge between GCSE and A-level is where you specify a bit further. Um, 
and I knew I wanted to do science, so I just went on to make, I made the decision to do biology, chemistry, physics. And I think there was a bit of a conversation and debate about whether, you know, you do physics or you do maths or you do chemistry and instead of maths and things like that. But I just decided, no, I'm going to do science. I'm going to do it in its, you know, I'd always planned to go to university from, from being at, at, at school. And then, yeah, just a natural step was to do science of some sort at university and I enjoyed all of my A-levels but again particularly chemistry and biology I think I'd started so physics at A-level compared to physics at GCSE is much much harder and it also swings a bit more into kind of needing to have the knowledge of maths to keep up with it which I hadn't done at A-level and I think actually for it's such a minor point now but I think with the benefit of hindsight I might have done maths to kind of keep up with the physics a little bit um so I kind of knew that I wasn't going to do physics at university but I couldn't decide between biology and chemistry so what I ended up doing was biochemistry which is you know why why give them up if you can do both right um so that's you know just splice them together and, and then there we are um so that kind of was my decision going forward was that I would apply to do biochemistry at university um, and ended up moving away from Barnsley at 18 to do biochemistry at Nottingham University. Um, so yeah, that was kind of my next step to, to do that, um, which was really exciting and, and really, really daunting actually. I've never really been away from town at all um, to then be kind of setting out on your own to do yeah four-year degree in in you know what by now was really moving to being quite hardcore science so so could you talk us through that your kind of trajectory then from university um sure so I did um biochemistry at Nottingham University um which again I it it was the particular variety version of, of course that I chose was was half half biochemistry and, and quite pure chemistry um and again the the kind of difference in chemistry at a level to chemistry at university is quite big and um it quickly became apparent that pure chemistry was not really for me either and again i think it became more apparent that you really need to have kept up that really strong background in in maths to be able to to do it at that level still enjoyed it but it was just not going to be for me career-wise um so really biochemistry i having as part of the course you got to work in some of the labs and do kind of some research projects which I loved and again coming back to that learning about science is quite different from doing science um, but I find myself to be quite green-fingered in the lab I kind of took to the practical aspect of it quite easily um, so I thought yeah I really want to do this I want to do something with the idea that it will eventually have benefits so medical research where I could maybe eventually you know be involved in bringing new drugs to clinic or, or kind of improving patient lives um for a long time cancer research because it's you know that's if you think about medical research that's the most prominent thing at the time that you would hear about um but we had some lecturers who were talking to us about neurological diseases and parkinson's disease and alzheimer's disease and what was known at the time about the biology of them and i just found that really interesting i find the brain fascinating um so by extension of that trying to understand why the brain goes wrong was to me a, a huge still is an unanswered kind of question and I thought it was really fascinating and I, I was very lucky to get um 
uh, funding from the Wellcome Trust to do kind of a summer internship in one of the Parkinson's disease labs there. So that was kind of my first proper long independent research project. When I say long, it was eight weeks working in a lab, kind of having my own project to carry forward. Um, and then that was the stepping stone for me to think, right, I'm gonna gonna kind of do it, try and do a PhD in this area. So, you know, on the, it makes me laugh when I'm describing it because on the one hand, it was quite active decisions on my part. On the other hand, it's actually just quite lazy to think, well, I'm good at science, so I do science at A-level, I do science at university, we don't want to get a real job yet, so I'll do a PhD in science at uni and just stay in the system for as long as possible. Um, so I was looking around for PhDs at the time. The lab that I spent my summer in applied for some funding for me to do one there, um, but it wasn't successful. Um, and then I found a PhD advertised at King's College London at the Institute of Psychiatry, which was working on on the basis, trying to understand the basis of Alzheimer's disease and another disease called progressive supranuclear palsy or PSP, um, which is, is much rarer, um, but shares some kind of common biological features. So it's kind of aimed at understanding those. And I thought, wow, this is ideal. I'd never considered in my life moving to London. So it was a bit of a, a kind of weird process because I think a lot of friends around me at university for a long time explicitly had said when we finish we're going to move to London we're going to move to London for a few years I thought I don't know if I really want to I'm not that bothered um, and then by chance that's where I ended up and I've never left since um, so yeah so in, I graduated in 2004 and started my PhD in October of the same year at the Institute of Psychiatry so I was there for for four years doing my PhD studies um, and then after that decided that I wasn't ready to leave university yet um, so I got a job as a postdoctoral researcher at UCL which is where I where I am now and I've kind of gone from being a postdoc through to actually running my own lab here so so I'll never leave university it's <laughs> But I, I am at least employed now. I'm not a perpetual student. So. <laughs> Amazing. That's quite... Yeah. It, really, it, it feels like a very linear... Um... It, yeah, it really is. And I've been incredibly... It's, I've been incredibly lucky. I think it's... As with anything in life, it's a combination of... Okay, you have to have some attitude and, and kind of take those decisions and be good enough at what you do that you get the required grades and qualifications to go through it um but it really is also a bit about being in the right place at the right time and you know meeting having met the right people to support me in those decisions and kind of look after my career in a way and then and nurture me and mentor me through those stages so yeah it's not it's not been that linear for a lot of my friends and a lot of my colleagues so I do feel very fortunate to be able to do what I do and to have kind of got there in a way that has not been too how to say stressful is not the right word but that has happened in kind of a bit I've not had to take too many detours from the path that I wanted to take so yeah, yeah it's good can you say more about what what you actually do now and then perhaps kind yeah. of where you see your career going from here because you're still obviously really young and yeah definitely I mean I think like I say I've been lucky that because my path has been quite linear and I've not had to take too many detours from that that I've kind of got my group at quite an early an early age um, which I, I hope will give me the potential to really make the most of it. 
Um, so what we're, we're doing, so I'm still working in the area of dementia research, so Alzheimer's, PSP, which I mentioned earlier, um, and another rarer form of dementia called frontotemporal dementia, or FTD. Um, and this is, you know, again, I, I talked about cancer research earlier, and I can remember being asked a few times when I was saying that I was going to work in, in dementia research, people saying, well, why don't you do something a bit more important like cancer research? Because dementia is just old people forgetting things. Um, and, you know, one of the biggest shifts that I've seen in, in the time that I've spent working in this area is more and more as a society, it's accepted that that is not the case. So dementia is caused by diseases such as Alzheimer's disease. And it's a hugely important distinction because if we recognise it's caused by diseases, we can fight them. We can we can kind of develop treatments and understand them and ultimately cure them. Um, and it's it's really urgent that we do that. So at the present time, there are about eight hundred and twenty thousand people in the UK who are living with some form of dementia, and there is nothing that we can do to prevent their disease from progressing so at the minute you know there are things we can do we can support people to live well with dementia we can you know manage help people to manage symptoms of dementia but we can't do anything to stop it so we really really need to be able to do that because it can be devastating for the person and also for their family for their carers um, and actually although it, it feels cold to reduce it to, to kind of terms of cost it's actually will have a huge impact on the nhs and the economy because we can't do anything for the diseases everyone who has dementia will eventually need some form of long-term care um and what we just don't have the resources as a society to kind of to manage that um so my specific area of research is really what i would classes as being at the preclinical end of the research spectrum so I work in a lab um, day to day we're doing experiments using um, stem cells so it's quite a cool technology that we use um, so we use uh, alright I'm not going on Go too on, long because um, you know we could be here a while I do like talking <laughs> about my science um, we use a technology called induced pluripotent stem cells so it's quite a long word IPSC for short um, so what that means is a stem cell is the blank slate, if you like, of the cellular world. So it's a cell which is completely unspecialised and carries a property called pluripotency, which is pluripotency basically translates from Latin as most potential. So a pluripotent cell has the potential within it to become any cell type of the human body. Now, for a long time, the only source of stem cells was from early stage embryos. So when, when an embryo was maybe eight cells in size. Um, so these were a really valuable tool for our understanding of, of human development, but they also come with a kind of set of, of ethical questions around their use. So I personally don't believe that an embryo which is eight cells in size is actually a person. Um, you know, we the source of these are from um, spare fertilised eggs for IVF. Um, so I have no ethical qualms about using them. But in, in some countries, particularly places like Italy, where, where there's a huge kind of Catholic um, population, the research using embryonic stem cells was quite restricted. Um, so what some researchers did in the States in kind of an ingenious set of experiments said, can we get pluripotent stem cells from anywhere else and what they showed is you could take a sample of someone's skin 
treat that with a combination of factors which would take it back in time to a point when it was unspecialized. So we call that induced pluripotency because you take a, a specialized cell and induce that property. Um, now that might seem quite far away from dementia research, but what it means for people such as myself is we can take ask people who have a form of dementia to give us a sample of their skin we can turn that into that person's stem cells and because stem cells are unspecialized we can then turn those stem cells into brain cells so into neurons um, and it's really revolutionized our area of research because of course the brain is really inaccessible to us during life we can do brain scans but i can't easily ask people to give me a sample of their brain um, as you can imagine, that's restricted ethically, and you know, even beyond that, people are generally not that keen. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, you know, reason, not unreasonable. Um, so what that means for us now is we can take anyone who's who, whose kind of brain we're interested in, and we can grow their brain cells in the lab to understand what makes them different to someone from someone's cells who doesn't have dementia. Um, so that's what we're doing in the lab. We have um, cells from people with Alzheimer's with different forms of neurological disease. And we're trying to understand why their cells are different, what makes them go wrong in disease. Um, and then most importantly, how can we stop that? So we can use these cells, for example, for drug screens and, and find drugs that in the lab might improve cell health and then put them into kind of what we call the translational pipeline, which is translating something from been an interesting bit of science in the lab to something that might go into a clinical trial and have, have patient benefit. So although we're very, very far away from working in the clinic in terms of our day-to-day -day work, the kind of big picture is that we, you know, we're always doing it to make people's lives better in the end. So, and it's really an exciting time to be working in this area. So dementia is a national priority. And in, in 2012, there was, um, the, the Prime Minister established the UK Dementia Challenge, which was really a big injection of funding into this area because because of the kind of misunderstandings around what dementia is. It means that it's always had a lack of funding compared to other areas of medical research. And we're starting to see that imbalance being addressed now. Um, and actually this year, we, we've UCL has just been awarded funds to establish the first UK Dementia Research Institute. So it will be the first institute in the UK that is 100% dedicated to dementia research mm -hmm. so you know it's hugely exciting to be here when all that's happening and kind of feel that you're a part of that so yeah. so yeah in the 10 years that I've worked in this area I've really seen dementia mature as a field um, and hopefully that means that we are kind of rapidly progressing towards actually getting those treatments um, and I definitely feel a sense of optimism about that and I think that's not misplaced you know it's, it's kind of a general feeling in the field that we've got a sense of purpose we finally got the back in in terms of funding to do what we need to do um so it's just a case of, of kind of pushing forward now till we get there sorry i talked for ages no, that. <laughs> it's it's just great to hear somebody talking so passionately oh, about so what they love yeah, to do yeah. and making a difference yeah just i mean yeah quite a career to come in a very short space uh -huh. of time from being a teenager growing up in barnsley to yeah. sitting in your office in london heading up a huge program on yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you get back up 
I do. So I used to go. Um, some sadly, my mum died when I was at university when I was twenty, and then my dad was up there on his own. So I used to go back like every two weeks to go and visit him because he was up there. Like I don't have any siblings. Um, and then he was blessing was quite ill for quite a while with a brain tumor. So then I used to go up every weekend. Um, and he died two years ago in two thousand and fourteen. So now I I don't go back as much as I used to. Um, but I still have family and friends up there, and my other half still lives up there actually. So we're we're kind of a long distance couple. Um, so I go up usually about once a month now, and it's nice to it's you know that's where my roots came from. That's kind of Barnsley has has defined me as a person at least in the early years, and it's really nice and important to me to kind of keep that connection even though my relationship with the town now is different to what it was when I was growing up it's important to kind of still have that connection so yeah I do enjoy going back up still (laughs) and is there anything we've not we've not discussed I feel like I've really whistled you through all no it's been great sorry I feel like I've talked a lot as well no that's the Um, point (laughs) (laughs) no I think I think we've covered everything actually. I, I mean, we talk, I know we've talked a lot about kind of school and education yeah. and those kind of things. Um, and just saying about, um, you know, I think you just said then it's kind of, it's still part of your identity and yeah. things and still got a bit, bit of an a accent. A bit of an accent. Yeah. Do, you, do you still feel like it, it kind of comes up when you meet people or in your work life that, that that's where you're from or yeah people will quite because I think the Barnsley accent's quite distinctive so mine has obviously got milder because I've lived away for a while but it's still there and actually when I'm at home you can see the switch back to kind of being a lot more more broad um but yeah I think it's everyone I meet has got a Barnsley story like they've either been to Oakwell to watch a football game or they it's surprising how there are a lot of us around like people have generally met someone from Barnsley I was I was having this story that everyone knows one person from Barnsley because literally everyone will be like oh so and so I know he's from there as well do you know him and I'm like it's not a small town we don't all know each other but you know it's nice (laughs) so yeah it does still come up and it's you know it's not something that I try to hide of course why should I so it's uh yeah it's it's kind of it is weird to see it keep coming up in conversation I'm sure it will do for you know from years to come as well so <laughs> well thank you um thank you if, unless there's anything else we'll i don't leave think it there, so i'm afraid thank you thank you As ever, thank you for listening to our podcast to hear more from the sound archive head to soundcloud.com forward slash Barnsley Museums. That's also the place to hear our new audio descriptions. We'll be back in a few weeks' time with some more highlights from the Barnsley Archive Sound Archive.